Hello everyone and welcome to the Mortgage Show podcast. My name is Monty and we are back in our virtual podcast studio to keep you updated and speak to some of the movers and shakers in our industry. We want to find out what makes them tick, as well as look at the latest goings on in our fine industry, especially during this uh, rather particularly interesting and difficult time. I'm delighted to be joined today by the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries. In fact, they've all come down in force to shed a bit more light about what they all do, how they help members, and to discuss just what the heck is going on with our industry at the moment. So it's a very warm welcome to Chief Executive Robert Sinclair. Hello, Robert. Hello, Monty. Senior Policy Advisor Lucy Lewis. Hello, Lucy. Hi, Monty. And Senior Policy Advisor Stacey Reeve. Hello, Stacey. Hi, Monty. A big welcome. Thank you all for joining us in this sort of uh, experimental recording, which uh, I hope and I'm sure will go swimmingly. Um, So first off, how have you you been coping in the current environment, working from home um, and all of that stuff? How have you have you kept keep team spirits up and, and kept motivation going? Robert. Would you want to give that? Oh, me. Okay. Um, um, well, I think we found moving from working in the office and, and to working remotely at home, an easy transition from technology perspective. Um, and actually as a relatively new team that had been put together over the last year, it was actually quite useful Um to have this change in that I've not been running around the country going to meetings in all sorts of various places and therefore probably been more available than I would have been otherwise. Whether that's helped with motivation or not, I'm not so sure. I'll Mm. leave other people to be the judges of that. But what it has meant is that every day at 10 o'clock, we've had a team meeting which has lasted about an hour where I've been talking about the issues facing us on a day-to-day basis as people, but also the issues facing the industry on its wider basis and more particularly the regulatory issues that the sector is facing into and how we should act and react to that. Um, And really, it's been a culmination of a group of us sharing our knowledge, understanding, wisdom, um, and the efforts we're trying to make in order to keep moving things forward. Um, And and just trying to keep spirits up by being positive, as most people probably Mm. think I am, although I'm relatively negative about many things, (laughs) I'm probably fairly positive about the world of intermediaries. Lucy, is that right? Is is uh, is Robert is Robert uh, positive? Yeah, I'd say he is genuinely, <laughs> genuinely a, a glass half full kind of a man. Yeah, <laughs> I've always found him to be that way. Every now and again, we have to rein him back from a little rant, but um, no, he's he's generally very positive. I think we're we're all positive as a team, actually. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's been really nice having our kind of the morning meetings just to come together. Um, yeah. Like Robert said, before this, we were kind of out and about quite a lot. Um, so it definitely makes it easier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's one thing we found as well. Having it, Actually, you, you tend to have it, almost more catch-ups now about things because um, you sort of take it for granted sometimes when, you, when you're in the office and all busy doing your things and actually taking time to actually talk about stuff together is, uh, is really important. Um, so obviously, as, as you all know, and, and most people know, I'm a big uh, Amy fan, and uh, I've been lucky enough to have been involved for a number of years now, and uh, something I'm very passionate about. Um, but for those who may not know, what do you do? 
what is Amy all about? Who's it for? Um, whoever wants to wants to take that one. I, th- I think the team will let me start, and then I'll let them give their views on it, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, it's very straightforward. Amy represents the interests of firms to government and regulators to try to make sure that they can still be profitable now and in the future. And our job is to try to make sure there are no legislative or regulatory icebergs that will derail the wonderful ship, which is mortgage intermediaries giving great advice to people. Um, mm. We use a number of mechanisms to do that, but fundamentally, firms pay membership fees in order for us to provide a kind of insurance policy that says we will try to keep you as safe as possible by either stopping things happening, or if they do happen, you understand how to live within them. Mm. Anyone want to add to that? Yeah, I'd just say that we're obviously a collective voice for the industry, um, and I guess it's the the relationships and, and access we have to different bodies, whether that be the FCA, um, that really allows us to kind of get the voice heard of our industry. Mm. So, Robert, what sort of a, a typical day for you then? Um, <laughs> it's a, I think it's changed significantly over the yeah. last the last six months. So. Um, I mean, it used to be up out on a train or driving to Milton Keynes where the office was, and, and then quite often even from there going into London. Uh, my alarm goes at 10 past six. I normally uh, do a couple of domestic things, but actually computers logged on, and by half past seven, I'm probably working. Mm-hmm. Uh, or certainly going through emails and thinking about stuff. Um, then there's our 10 o'clock meeting. It will depend what else is in the diary in terms of Zoom teams or even conference calls with people. Um, speaking to members, speaking to regulators, even occasionally speaking to government departments around what's going on at the moment, speaking to other trade bodies quite a lot at the moment in terms of yeah. making sure that we're lined up in how we're trying to deal with the difficult environment we're operating in. Um, mm. I'm trying to coordinate and make sure that the team are working as effectively as they can and 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 just helping support, whether it's firms or the team, to, to deliver. And I like to try to finish by about half past six at night, which somebody abused me for the other day in terms of slacking <laughs> and me working 11 hours a day. He's um, probably less That's than hard. the average mortgage broker. But but yeah. I understand that. Um, but there comes a point where, actually, when you've been thinking about stuff or trying to write stuff and be creative in terms of writing mm. things, you do run out of intellectual energy. And I think there are times where I was trying to write a couple of articles this week and I was having real trouble because just the words would not come for hours on end. Mm. It becomes quite difficult when you're tired. Um, but trying to just, just trying to keep everything on track and make sure you're watching enough, understanding enough and able to contribute enough to what's mm. going on. Having waded through a few of the... Uh... <laughs> those papers myself it's uh yeah it's definitely something that needs full con- concentration 100 percent um lucy what uh say well lucy and stacy well what is it that you guys do on a day-to-day basis um lucy well i think in in particular it's it's stacy and i who do the kind of the reading through the documentation and coming up the re- the responses and and really looking at how that inf- um, impacts or will impact the intermediary community so we kind of um, do the heavy lifting in terms of the writing of it and then give it to Robert and pick his brains on a very regular basis <laughs> there's quite a lot to pick <laughs> yeah because some some of these consultations that do come out from the FCA can be quite lengthy um, mm. 50 pages plus so yes we, like Lucy said we'll have a look at those, 
just assess them and analyse them and, and put together papers and guidance for our members. Mm. Do you, do, do do you specialise in different areas? Yes. Yeah, so um, I joined Amy last year in September and I was brought on to focus mainly on the protection and insurance side. So one of my core focus, that is that area. Um, so I've been doing quite a bit of work at the moment on professional indemnity um, mm. and protection generally. Um, and then there's other areas um, that we've kind of dished out between us um, just so we can keep on top of everything, really. Yeah. I thought I'd give the team youngster later life because that was fair. <laughs> yes, later life as well, yes. <laughs> and then I pick up the other things. So I've um, got a lot of um, things going on from the mortgages market study and everything that came off the back of that. Um, mortgages yeah. prisoners fall into that. Um, switching falls into that as well. I've also got vulnerability, which I'm about to get my teeth into. Mm. Um, so it kind of made sense for me to do more of the mortgage side and station to do protection side because that was the background she was from and I spent six years of my life working for a mortgage intermediary so um, right okay and have a CMAC qualification so that just kind of felt like it made sense makes sense definitely makes sense and um, yeah there seems to be a lot to uh, a lot for everyone to wade through at the moment yeah and I think Um, if you look at what Monty if you look at what we've produced in terms of the 19 page it is now questioners answers section we've done on COVID related stuff for members mm. I mean that's grown from the start where the team were really clear that they wanted to do this and trying to distill information from all the government agencies uh, and and the regulators into one place for firms to be able to look at and trying to make sure that we, we do that in a way Unlike the FCA, when they drop out replacement pages, which don't show the kind of track changes or what's new, we're trying to make sure that firms can just pick up the new elements each time in order to uh, um, be clear so that they don't have to read all 19 pages again, but they can pick out the three or four things that have changed every time we reissue it, which is really yeah. important, I think, for firms. Yeah, I found that really useful, actually. I think there's, there's loads of good stuff on, in there, and it's, uh, it just changes so quickly. Um, it, it is difficult to keep up and having that resource really, really helps. Um, the team have been great at that. Mm. We can't obviously get through this without talking about our friends at the SCA and all the stuff they're, they're working on at the moment. But I guess the question is, where do you think they are really at the moment in terms of their regulatory brief? Have they, have they moved any close in really understanding our industry? There's a lot of stuff around the the whole cheapest is best um items that they've they've come up with recently um where do you think they are robert on their on their road to understanding us um i i often think it's uh i often hope it's two steps forward one back and sometimes i think it's one forward and two back um as we as we go through the process we've been going through over the last few years as they've changed the people they've got working there because they went through a whole process of um, assessing people's suitability for the type of roles they thought they wanted and I think unfortunately shot all of the people who actually had really good industry understanding and kept people Mm. who were I'll call them intellectually brilliant um, but not a lot of life skills or understanding of, of the sector and I think what we're seeing at the moment is possibly the start of a sea change in relation to that in that the crisis kind of exposed their senior management team as lacking um, depth in industry experience. So if you go through the top 10 people at the, at the SCA, there was only one who'd actually ever run a business unit in a major firm. 
Um, the rest were all um, kind of political political advisors come out of mm. government departments or long-term um, competition people within um, places like the energy sector. Um, so when crisis hit, it was actually the authorizations and supervision director who actually was fronting off all the policy discussions with major institutions because he was the only one who'd ever actually run a, a significant insurance business. Mm. Um, so Jonathan Davidson was the person doing that. And the rest of them, I think, were a bit exposed. I think that's probably why we've seen the decision not to appoint Chris Woolard as chief executive and go outside and pick the chief executive of the Stock Exchange because that shift in bringing Rick Lynn is, is really important because I think there's a recognition from the board and from externally that they need to be a bit more business focused than they are have been over the last three or four years, yeah. where they've been totally focused on com- the competition agenda, which I'm not sure gives the right answers, particularly as we've seen the escalating cost of the compensation scheme, particularly in the investment arena. Mm. And how is it, how how do you think the the sort of the cheapest is best policy has has landed? Do you think, uh, think, think Brexit understand mess. it? I do, well, um, well, it's a mess because the rule doesn't work in practical terms. And it's always mm. been, it's been interesting the way it was being explained to, to us when, when Lucy and I went to speak to them about it. And the kind of words that you were used were there's kind of 25 suitability rules sitting in, 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 our, in our, our rule book. And you should see the cheapest element of that as being number 23 of 25. Yeah. And therefore, you should be dealing with the other 22 before you even get to that. And I think that's probably correct. The problem is, as a rule, which is the only one that is absolutely quantifiable, my worry is that in five be used as a stick to beat us, either mm. by somebody bright coming into supervision or a claims management company deciding that they want to exert some sort of remuneration out of the sector. And that's the thing that worries me most. I'm quite happy that the existing regime will protect us because um, they understand exactly why they wrote what they wrote and how they got there. Um, in the fullness of time, that might not we might not be quite as protected, and that's always the thing that worries me. So we're trying to work at the moment on framing a document, which is outline guidance for firms, which we will get the FCA to review, and then we can issue that hopefully um, within the next three or four weeks, mm. so that firms can be more comfortable with with how they're approaching this. And I think it is unfortunate that. In fact, they've kind of admitted to us that when we've gone back and challenged, they said, "Well, nobody raised any issues with this." And when they went back and checked, what they found was of the responses that came in to the advising and selling standards uh, paper, most people focused, as we did as well, on the elements around making interest only easier. Um, and when they came to the bit about cheapest rule, we said, well, that's kind of what we do already, yeah, so we're not right. too worried about yeah. that. The only people who raised technical issues were us, and we got outvoted on a kind of 25 to 1 vote because only one person had said there was a problem mm. with it, which is an unhelpful way of a regulator looking at what's in a series of consultation responses because that one was significant issues that we saw from this. And, and therefore, unfortunately, brokers have to live with this for a period of time. But hopefully, by our lobbying, we can get some words that help in the short term and we can continue to push for change to the rules in the longer term. Mm. It's really interesting when you. It's, actually... all, it's all Lucy's problem to deal with, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> How are you getting on with that, Lucy? Uh, it's a work in progress at the moment, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting because these are the things that we, you know, as brokers, when you see something like that, you do say, "Well, that's all right. We we do do that anyway." But actually, it's it takes people like you to actually really look at it and go, 
well, actually, that's all very well, but what it really means and the ramifications of this are this, which is which is often what what we all miss, and which is why I guess we need you. Um, and and, it's, and, it's, and you've, you've seen the three different sourcing systems apply themselves to in in very different ways. Mm. And therefore, if you only use one sourcing system, you've seen one solution. If you use more than one sourcing system, then you're seeing two different entirely different ways of approaching this, which will confuse any broker in terms of uh, how they're meant in front of the customer. And I think what it does drive the broker to do, the, the advisor to do, is become much more clear about wanting to get as much soft facts out of the customer as possible to get down to as few products as possible on the list, which makes it much easier then to say, well, actually, the, the product that's suitable for you is this one. Mm. And therefore, the cheapest debate doesn't come into play because um, that's actually the only one that meets all of your needs. Mm. I guess the um, amongst the, the wealth of information and stuff that everyone's working on at the moment, the, the other one that's getting a lot of attention, um, certainly in terms of press and, and government as well, is, is the whole question of mortgage prisoners, which is a massive area that everyone's concentrating on. Where about are we with that? And, and do you get a sense that there will finally be help for, for those, those types of people? Um, yeah, absolutely. So we've been in, in conversation with the FCA for quite a long time on this with um, other with the lender trade bodies as well. And we're making progress. The, the call for intermediaries went out um, and the deadline's now passed for for people to respond to it, although they can be yeah. added, added later. Did you get a good response from that? Yeah, a really good response. I don't think the yeah, FCA had actually envisaged quite such a response because originally when they were talking about doing it, they said they were just going to um, create a static list on a maps website. Um, I think they had nearly 300 responses. So right, brilliant. <laughs> um, they're now looking at ways of being able to filter it slightly to, um, to make it easier for, for consumers to be able to pick an intermediary. But it's, uh, yeah, mm. as, as we expected, a brilliant response for people wanting, you know, people who as their job help people, um, which, which is great. Obviously, you know, none of us had really expected um, the, the pandemic to come. So that's no. thrown an additional challenge into the mix, um, certainly from a lender point of view. Um, and, you know, the people who normally deal with products have been a lot busy doing other things. So the date was, was pushed back. There was a slight extension as to um, how long um, mm. people would have to actually um, send out the letters to third party administrators. So they've got until the, the end of the year. Um, and we're expecting letters to go out October, November. Um, okay yeah so so that's great so we know that brokers are well we're, we're all lovely people we want to help everyone um but we can't do anything at the moment Just without um without actual products from the lenders where where are they on all of this i think I've, i think the, the the challenge they have is they're they are still fighting fires on on two fronts one is payment deferment and, and how they get people back off of that and how they deal with those people who can't come off of some form of or, or some some customers who will still not be able to pay. And the other part is that um, the government delightfully poured petrol on, on already exuberant property market with the stamp duty changes. Yeah. And therefore, um, despite, despite what uh, one broker firm issued by way of press release this morning, um, I think most brokers are busier than they've been in a very long time. Um, because the purchase market has gone, okay, of all the state agents are to be believed, then it's gone ballistic. Mm. And we're seeing levels of transaction or certainly inquiries at a level that hasn't been seen 
and certainly lots of noise that properties are either meeting their asking price or even exceeding their asking yeah. price in many occasions. So the front end is very busy in terms of purchase, and therefore lenders are struggling with capacity in terms of their ability to process the amount coming in the door, which is why we're seeing products being withdrawn and interest rates escalating. Mm. The only reason interest rates go up in environment, they're trying to stem the tide of applications coming through the door. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's a fundamental issue that we've got at the moment across the, in- across the industry. And that means that any thought that they've got of trying to develop specialist niche product for a particular group of mortgage prisoners is, I think, on the back burner and why I think we may struggle to see anything before September. Mm. Um, certainly, as we're now into God, early August, certainly, I, I'm, I'm not expecting to see much before mid-September from any lender about either specific product or criteria mm. changes to help this population. Although I think government pressure will continue to escalate around this, particularly given the assurances that have been given by the Treasury Select Committee, the all-party parliamentary group that are looking at prisoners, and also the senior management yeah. SCA to find a solution mm. for these people. And um, so uh, we, we used to talk about, um, you know, the partnership between lenders and brokers. And um, before all this, a lot of people worried about actually in a, in a couple of years' time, lenders will get all their tech right and they'll start taking on brokers again um, in terms of certainly at, at, at the back end, in terms of retaining, et cetera, et cetera. Do you, where where does all of this leave the relationship between brokers and and lenders at the moment? Because I, I feel like it's it's actually quite close at the moment, although I know a lot of brokers are are being worn down by all these changes and uh, a lot of us have, have given lenders fair, fair space because we understand all the challenges, we understand the capacity issues, we understand they're now working from home um, and, and the challenges that face. But do you see closer partnerships between lender or broker and, and or actually do you think there are further battles to be had in the in the months ahead and how do we act as true partners anyway? <laughs> um, I think it's a difficult one because at the moment, mortgage distribution brokers, the, the advisor community have relative control over the new build sector because of the relationship with builders and builders want an independent mortgage broker who can source across the market so they can sell as many mm. units as possible and, and do that quickly and get certainty about an individual's ability to borrow. I think the relationships that are very strong within all of the state agency world as introducers to intermediaries means that anything that's in the second-hand market is effectively not tied up, but a mortgage intermediary has a really good chance of having having first go at that. Um, Therefore, it's the remortgage market, product transfer market that's much tougher. And I just think that that's the one bit that um, brokers have to be smarter at because if you actually think about the amount of work that goes into um, a purchase transaction or, a, or a, any purchase transaction to get 35 or 40 basis points versus the amount of work that genuinely goes into a product transfer, um, and even if it's 20 bips, how, which one's going to take more time and which one gives you more certainty of cash return? Because the purchase might not complete, but the PT definitely yeah. will. And I think people have got to be a bit more commercially savvy about how much work they put into retention of their existing customers and making sure the protection that they've written stays on the book or at that PT they go back and visit the protection needs every time in order to make sure it's a fully protected mortgage. And I think there's probably more money in that if people Mm. are balanced and think about how they manage that through 
having administrators that are really effective and maybe people are growing into their firm or they cut their teeth in that area as a farmer, not a hunter. And those type of things that, that people need to really think about to be competitive commercial businesses are really important. And I think most of the lenders recognize that. And we've got so many lenders out there who are 100% committed to intermediate distribution. They're not going to build their no. own acquisition frameworks to sanction stuff that's coming in the door. That's not the mm. model they run. And we've even got some very large mutuals who, you know, yes, they've got branches that write odd mortgages, but that's not their preferred route to market. They want the geographical distribution of risk that can be delivered through an intermediary distribution model. Um, and, and they want the quality of the, the advice that is delivered through that model as well, where you, that's been sieved and decided and weighted and given to that lender based on their criteria. And therefore, it's much easier for them to work because it lands on their desk because it's suitable for the customer mm. to be with that lender. Now, I think the, the big relationship issues are much more around how are we going to manage that product transfer issue or that rollover of that product further down the line and how well that relationship develops over time. Um, but yeah, technology will be a big part of this. But you know, that means that intermediaries got to embrace technology and work smarter and use that technology to their favour and just not let the lender yeah, in the door. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned there, Robert, the um, um, fully protected mortgage. Um, and I know, Stacey, that's been your area of expertise. And you mentioned this protection group. Is it? Yeah. What's, the, yeah. what's going on with that? What's the point behind that? And, and where are we as an industry where, where that's concerned? Yeah, so um, protection is one area that Amy wanted to have more of a voice in. Um, and we have created our protection specialist group, which is launching in September. Uh, that's made up of members um, that uh, obviously they don't do just protection. It's firms that do mortgages and protection. And the aim of that group is to come together discuss opportunities, threats in the market, um, and really to help us at Amy to shape our policy agenda and work. Um, we know that there's other protection groups out there um, that are doing a great job. Um, so we're not here to tread on anyone's toes. We just felt there was that gap there for us to have a group mm. of this nature. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree with that. And um, and it'll be interesting to to get yours and, and Lucy's thoughts on this, Stacey, around around how we're doing as an industry around the whole question of diversity. Um, we've had a we've had big discussions on this generally. Um, how do we get more women in the industry? How do we get more women in higher roles um, across the board um, and diversity generally? Um, several people have spoke very eloquently about about this issue. Um, over the past, certainly the past 12, 18 months or so. Um, where do you where do you think we are as an industry in this, Lucy, now? And um, and how are we doing? And what, what can we all do better? I guess it's, uh, every, it's the point in discussion, and that's the important thing, isn't it, to talk about it, to start off with. But I think we've got a long way to go at the same time. Certainly as a, mm. a working mum myself, I, I had a number of years off looking after the children and coming back to work, at, looking for a part-time job initially, unless you're wanting to be paid, you know, minimum wage, there's not very much out there. Yeah. Um, and some of the big financial services firms do return to work programmes and things, but there's also not that many of them. And it's, a ver it's only the very big 
firms that do it so you know whilst firms I think will take on part-time people they don't generally advertise the jobs as being part-time um and you know there's also the the point that if you've had a long time out of work maybe you lack confidence and you you look at the job and think oh well I can do eight of those things but I'm not sure I can do those two completely and I've never done them so I won't apply for yeah. that um so yeah it's it's an interesting one um having spent a lot of time talking about it with lots of other mums as well there's a number of us that have had problems yeah that's an interesting one actually because i've I've heard that that actually job descriptions and what you're advertising uh for a job is is very interesting the way the way females and men read it and men men will will look at it and think yeah i can sort of do 60 percent of that the rest is all right but you mentioned there was quite interesting that actually you look at you look at it in its entirety, and and if there's something you're not sure you can do, then ma- then maybe that puts you off. Um, I can't remember who mentioned that to me, um, but that's that's quite interesting. So it's about a, re- a responsibility really in employers when they're advertising jobs as well to to sort of bear that kind of stuff in mind. I, I think it's also yeah. difficult because so, a lot of people because people are having children later, they actually get further on in their careers and so you leave your job if 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 like me you leave your job you leave as a manager you don't want to go back to being an administrator doing some you know doing doing something that somebody else considers possible to do as part-time but you you kind of look at it and think well hang on a minute I'm I'm leaving I want to go back to work because I want to get all the things from you know I want to do something for me that doesn't feel like it's for me yeah yeah. yeah, I think it's also important to attract younger women into the profession in the first place. I mm. um, guess the perception might be of the financial services indri- industry as a whole, that it's maybe a certain type of person. Um, I think there's more that can be done to show that there's so many varied roles with lots of different skill sets and it's open to everyone. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely um we've we've tried hard we've got got our female management team and uh, or mainly female management team and some of our best brokers i've always found that some of the best brokers are females um their just ability to to do things in a different way is um it's really interesting and i think within amy we've been trying to i've been trying since god since i took over the, the, the and 12 to try to um expand all of the mm. um industry contact group which is a much more sales-like group we're, we're kind of a, a it's kind of 60 40 75 25 it keeps moving around 70 yeah. 30 is probably at the moment male female which is not where i want it to be um on the board we really struggle with with only um, a couple of females on there at the moment which which is just not right it mm. isn't right but trying to re- address that balance by finding the right leaders in firms who are prepared to or who've got the time to commit on top of everything else they have to do is a challenge. Mm. Um, and of course, we've not dealt with the the race issue at all in our sector well, in my view. Totally and agree. I think, I think that's still an outstanding challenge that we have. And, and to be fair, Dom Scott at Alexander Hall has laid down the gauntlet to us all in order to think about that in a better and different way. And I'm happy to pick up that, that challenge and try to run with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, a, that's also incredibly important. Um, yeah, his article was very, very eloquent and, and he speaks very well on, on the matter. Um, so it's something we all need to take a look at ourselves and in, in the way we, we, how we recruit, in the way we run our businesses and in how we promote, et cetera. 
uh, and make sure that this is this is not something that we're still talking about in five, ten years' time. And it is that, and for me, and it's one of the things he talks about. It's 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 not that I'm not racist. It's the fact that I need to be against racism. It's not that I'm I, I'm in. I need to be in favour of gender equality, not just I'm I'm, I'm yeah, not be ambivalent about yeah. it. Yeah. It's 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 that proactivity as opposed to not being negative. It's yeah. a fundamental mind shift, and all the passive um, racism and sexism that is in all our language sets, mm. which we somehow have to find a way of er- eradicating, and it's immensely difficult. And yeah, somebody from my age group, um, I'm conscious of it, and I get it wrong sometimes, and I know that, and I apologise for that as well. Um, but we have to all be much more conscious of it and try to deal with it. So obviously you. you- get involved in so many different things is there anything secret you can tell us that you're working on you can share just between friends no one no one's listening don't worry is there anything what, um, what are you working on at the moment i'm not, I'm not sure if there is anything <laughs> secret by, by way of anything um well okay i think i think one of the things that okay i will, I will talk about one thing that's not secret but it's <laughs> it's quite uh, a big challenge yeah. and it's a challenge facing many firms in relation to where we are with cmc complaints on interest only um and what we are seeing is that there's a number of um lawyer firms cmc firms trying to tr- move into this interest only arena and issued lots of data subject asset access requests and are causing a great deal of difficulty for the sector because of the cost that that invokes um, what we're also seeing is that there's a number of people who we've been challenging their business models with the FCA and also into the Law Society's Solicitor Regulatory Authority. We're already seeing some of these business principles lifeboating away to other firms to try to protect and move their income streams. And we've seen any legal shutdown by the SRA and we've seen these people mm. pop up in another guise in another firm already in order to continue what I view as their nefarious activity. Now, if they're totally legal and above board, then they wouldn't be having their permissions removed by the Law Society and the Social Regulatory yeah. Authority. Therefore, we have to all try to make sure that we chase these people down and get these people out of the industry because they're a cancer that just adds costs to everybody, risks eradicating good advice firms, and risks consumers not getting good advice from people or and, and actually adding to everybody's costs by people who don't deserve compensation getting yeah. it, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so I'm passionate about this, and we're working quite hard on it, and we're trying to track it down, and we're trying to give intelligence to the regulators about all of this, but it's not easy. Um, but for anybody who, who's listening, we're passionate in terms of trying to deal with this issue because it is wrong. It's fundamentally wrong because, because at the front end of this, if a customer has got a genuine complaint, it can come forward to a firm. They will deal with it. If the customer's not happy, it goes to the Ombudsman Service, who I know will deal with it even-handedly, or it will go to the compensation scheme, who will deal with it even-handedly. And I have no issue at all from all the work we do in turn, the discussions we have with the Ombudsman Scheme and the Compensation Scheme, that they're happy to open their books to us and have genuine discussions mm-hmm. with us. And that, that, that is a good place for us to be, because if a customer's a genuine case, it'll be dealt with. And we don't, they don't need to be running off to claims management companies or solicitors firms who are running ambulance chasing exercises in order to try to create money for themselves, because that is what it is actually all about, creating money for themselves. Uh, and we have to somehow get this and I do call it a cancer, a cancer out of this industry because it's really unhelpful yeah. and will not serve any of us well in the long term. See, that's great. I can feel your passion there, Robert. Rant over. <laughs> rant over. <laughs> that was quite good. That was quite a good rant. Um, I, I had a question on, on Twitter, actually, 
from Adam Hosker, and I, I quite, thought it was quite interesting. So a lot was talked about uh, this in the past. And he said, can Amy revitalise the IMLA agreement on panel removal process? Is uh, reading hmm. others' complaints about panel removals shows a scary axe under any broker's head. Is, it, is there anything you... Uh, is there anything you can say about that at all? I appreciate I've just sprung that on you. No, no. I mean, um, there's nothing. The, the agreement still is there as it was mm -hmm. then. Perhaps we need to remind lenders of existence of what they've signed up to. But I'm fairly certain, and, and anybody who is part of a large network or a significant sized network, this is where large firms and, and smaller firms have a slightly different issue to deal with here. And, and that was the reason for creating the agreement. Um, the relationships between lenders and large firms is pretty well developed so that if there is concerns about a particular advisor, then it gets escalated quite early. Usually it gets looked at and the firms, lender and intermediary firm, tend to come to some agreement about the action that's required. Mm. Smaller firms, it's much more difficult because it tends to be the principal or somebody that's very closely associated with the principal that tends to be in the firing line. That becomes a much more difficult conversation. And that's the reason the agreement exists, that the lender should have an appropriate process of due diligence in order to um, properly review any evidence they've got in order to look at the particular case or the individual. Um, what I would say is that I get inveigled, I get, inveigled, I get asked to look at these periodically mm. because a member firm or a member or somebody comes to me and says, look, I've been really unjustly treated here. Will you pick this case up for me? When I've gone and the lenders have shown me the case as much as they can, in kind of eight or nine cases out of 10, I can look at it and go, I exactly understand why the lenders made the decision they've made because the broker has genuinely often been hoodwinked by a consumer, mm -hmm. by a customer telling them some things, but the lender can clearly see it very easily from the access they have to National Hunter or yeah, other information yeah. mechanisms that they have. And therefore, it's clearly a fraud case all day. And actually, when they then look at the information that the broker's provided, in truth, the broker should have seen that as well. But it's not normally when they have one of these. It's when they go and look, and there's a series of these that, that, that it begins to escalate. Because it's never one case that kills somebody, usually. Yeah. Um, because they will tend to find one, have discussions and warnings. And it really does depend how people react to it. Because if people throw their hands up and horror goes, oh, God, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize, then the lender tends to act sympathetically. If there's a fight or an argument that says, well, I didn't know, I'm, you're being unfair, you get yourselves into some, some bad places. And it goes in the press. The lender will dig their heels yeah. in and not want to play at all. And so the agreement is there. The one thing that we raised the agreement for was to make sure lenders had appropriate processes for senior people to look at all of this before somebody was removed from the panel because there was a recognition that this is people's livelihoods yeah, that being absolutely. taken away. And all of the lenders that I know take this extremely seriously. And if there are lenders who are not taking it seriously in terms of that, then I would definitely like to know because I can go and talk to them about that. Because although there's 142 of these lovely first charge lenders out there, Amy has contacts into most of them. Um, and therefore, we can have adult conversations about the way they're conducting their um, panel removal and appeals processes. Yeah. And they will have, none of them have any problems with having that conversation with them. Okay, very good. Um I'm conscious, time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure uh, I'm conscious of time and and i like to leave with with sort of you know a, a couple of last questions um actually first of all lucy and stacy i'm sure i've asked this to robert before and he's uh 
and we've talked about his, uh, his previous athletic prowess, um, although he's still very athletic. From what yeah, it's gone now. It's definitely gone um, now. So it's your turn, ladies. Um, if you weren't doing what you were doing, what you're doing now, what would you be doing? What did you always think you wanted to do, Stacey? Well, something that I've only started getting into properly in the last couple of years is netball. So I played it at school and then there was a local team that started up. So I gave it a go. Um, obviously not playing at the moment, sadly, because of yeah. restrictions. Um, but I always think it would be quite impressive to player, be a netball eh? what's, player. What's your yeah. position? Um, golf shooter, goal attack. Because I'm tall, ah, I always seem okay. to be stuck in that position. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good fun. It's a hard game, netball. We yeah. played that a few times. We we had a good a good team at Coracombe. The boys challenged them, and we got roundly beaten. Yeah, um, people always think that. It's, uh, <laughs> people always think that it's it's quite a easy sport, but it can get it's not, quite aggressive. It's hard work. <laughs> it is aggressive. Yeah, Lucy, what about you? I don't know. I mean, I did my degree in um, French and German. So I always thought I'd, you know, be working for an international com- company, travelling the world. Yeah. But <laughs> not, not to be. <laughs> <laughs> and do you use much French and German, at, at Amy, at the moment? I don't think... Or is that just to swear at Robert? I don't, don't think I've spoken any German since I left my job at um, Disneyland Paris. <laughs> age 21 22 um not sure french i speak holiday french now that's kind of it and um, my okay. my daughter's about to start gcse in french so i'm gonna resurrect it <laughs> very good so we always like to leave on a positive note so um robert have you got um one last message you'd like to leave us all with um i think um we live in the strangest of times at the moment um, where our world has been turned upside down. The one thing that has been fascinating to see is as the government wanted to open the economy up again, they chose housing property as an area they wanted to open up first. And we should be exceptionally proud of that, but also take that responsibility on our shoulders with the gravitas that it deserves. We have from all the data I can see an exceptionally buoyant market at the moment, and we need to use all our skills to make that as effective as possible. Um, I think that firms need to really think about how they secure as much income they can over the next six to nine months, um, particularly through to next March when stamp duty help will begin to run out. And we'll see at that point what the economy might be really looking like as we come out Mm. the back end of furlough. We see what the shakeout is in terms of unemployment. So I think firms have to preserve preserve income, um, look at their costs carefully, and work out where they are. But we have an opportunity over this next period of time to do great things for people because I keep saying to people, um, two million people took a payment holiday on their mortgages. Nine million people kept paying every month on time without any problems. We have a whole host of people in furlough, but we have still 24 million people still in full-time employment. Mm-hmm. And they are not the what I would call the casual economy in terms of those people who worked in coffee shops or in the entertainment sector in its broadest sense. These are people with real jobs, with real economic contribution across a much wider basis that are actually the mortgage holders of today. And therefore, we have an opportunity to still do great work with people in order to get them great houses with great mortgages and great protection wrapped around that. 
And if we get all of that right for the next six to nine months, we will then be able to ride through what will be, I think, a tough six to nine months after that before we get back to a much better economy come 2022. And that, I think, is the challenge everybody has, is how do you get to the start of 2022 having survived and prospered and done the right thing during that process? That's very eloquent as ever. Thank you very much. Um, and for those interested in knowing more about Amy, joining Amy, where should they go? The Amy website. There you go. www a-m-i.org.uk or email info at a-m-i.org.uk and we will get back to you. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, right. Thank you very much. We've, we've run out of time. It's, uh, it's flown by as always. Um, thank you to my guests, Robert, Lucy and Stacey. And thank you, of course, to all of you out there for listening. Um, we will be back very soon. If you have any comments or questions in the meantime to put to either myself or any of our guests that I can pass on, you can contact me on Twitter at Monty's blog. Until next time, this is The Mortgage Show signing off. 